good is Australia? This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to News from the Trough, the fortnightly now show where we wrap up what's been happening in the world of politics, what gets reported on, what doesn't get as much reported on, what entertains us uh, and uh, what's important to talk about. My name is Wendell Hussey. Dave joins me once again. How are you going, Dave? I'm going real good, Wendell. Great to be here, here to help the listener unspin some of the spin that we hear from the politicians. Mm. First week back at Parliament, a little bit going on, but we'll help you get through it and yeah, we'll help you make sense of it. Yeah, unravel the big ball of wool. Leslie Burley normally joins us, but she's off whining and dining, schmoozing, as you have to do when you like when you roll in that circle of politics. You have to do those those schmoozing events. So she's doing that somewhere. She couldn't make it. Um, she was out late last night, I believe, as well on another kind of Canberra bubble event. But um, yeah, mm. it sounds like everyone's kind of returned with a full head of steam down in Canberra. And we'll talk about that in a second, but. Les will be back in a fortnight's time to talk with us, but today it's just me and you, Dave. And uh, we start off with our clanger or banger. It's from South Australian Senator Alex Antich, who I must admit I'm not too familiar with. He came into the Senate 2019, but hasn't made a lot of headlines. He's now decided he wants to make some more and he wants to make his presence felt. He came out this week and he said this, which is really good content. I'll play it now. Today, the communists have swapped the Mao suit for the three-piece suit in the corporate boardroom. What do you reckon, clanger or banger? I reckon, despite the enthusiasm with which he said it, that's a bit of a clanger. I don't know. There's yeah. a bit of uh, mixed messages in there. Are they <laughs> communists? Are they corporate boardroom people? The three-piece suit in the corporate boardroom isn't the typical image no. I have in my head when I think of Mao's communists. No, I don't think so either. I don't think that um, Stalin was strolling around the boardroom he's talking about in the inner city there. I'm sure there was a war room and he was doing that sort of stuff, but no, not in the inner city kind of corporate boardroom. I don't think they would have had Excel spreadsheets up there and KPIs no. and things like no, that. No, no, no. I, uh, I like when guys like this try and just squash as many buzzwords as they can in to just make it as punchy as possible, this soundbite. And he's obviously going for the Sky News kind of clickbait soundbite, you know, like how good was this from Alex Antich standing up to the fucking wave of communism, which is apparently here. The thing as well that I like, the big thing about communism is like you don't even own your own home in communism, right? Like that's what guys like this talk no, about. No private property. You don't own anything yeah. and you love it according to him or according to what he thinks the WEF and all those other big evil mm. conglomerates that are also apparently communists want you to think. Is it that different to the world we're currently living in? Not that many people own their home anymore either. So, Well, maybe um, he's spot on then. Maybe the yeah. communism is already upon us where, you know, you don't own anything, you have to pay for everything uh, on weekly rentals and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just well, look, maybe he's right. Verdict's out for me. Clanger or banger, I don't know. Good shit from Alex Antich. On a pretty quiet week in terms of silly sound bites and gaffes, 
yeah, maybe I'll give him a banger. I don't know. Yeah, he's just trying yeah. to make stuff happen, you know. We appreciate <laughs> it. Like, if our politicians were as entertaining as the American ones are, then, you know, maybe people would be more politically engaged here. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. He's doing his best for us. Now, getting into the show, Parliament's back. School's back. That's what politicians do like to say that as well. They like to say school's back. The second week kicked off on Monday, the 13th of February. We're recording on Tuesday, Valentine's Day. We've got exciting plans after this. But yesterday uh, was the start of the second week of Parliament. It was also the 15th anniversary of the National Apology, Kevin Rudd's National Apology. The new federal government took the opportunity to pay their respects to that. And they also released the Closing the Gap uh, implementation plan, which is $424 million in new money to address Indigenous advantage across areas such as like housing, food, education, and water infrastructure. We'll talk about that uh, in a quick second, but worth noting that there were a lot of speeches yesterday talking about the apology and what it meant and how much more we have to do and um, what progress needs to be made. The Liberal leader, Peter Dutton, he actually came out and apologised for boycotting the National Apology to Stolen Generation in 2018. He famously was one of, I believe, five Liberal National politicians who got up and actually walked out of the apology because they uh, they couldn't stand for it. Although you notice, Dave, that 15 years since, his rhetoric hasn't changed that much. No, it really doesn't seem like it. This uh, caught my eye. I saw... An old article from 2008 posted that um, Peter Dutton was quoted about the apology, really bringing out some of the same lines that he appears to be bringing out these days in relation to the voice to parliament. He said that, I think that Australian people deserve to know the full details of the implications of this policy, this policy being the apology, Mm. including the financial ones. So apologizing there could have real big financial costs, it would seem to Peter Dutton. And he's just a really big details man, it seems. And 15 it years on. And I mean, you're saying, you know, the rhetoric hasn't changed. Well, look, he's a man of principles. 15 years ago, he's talking about details. He's still talking about details now. He, yeah, he did apologize. Credit to him. Always good um, when people know when to apologize. Probably 14, 14 and a half, 15 years too late. But he has come forward and apologized. I wonder if it is like a strategic play from him to go like, hey, I'm not racist. I apologized for walking out of the apology. But yeah, we'll see. He did have an interesting quote actually after that. He did say, I fear we are failing again this very day for which a future apology will be necessary, which I thought was interesting because, you know, given that we're continuing to fail to meet they're closing the gap targets year after year. It seems like every single year we hear that we haven't hit them and we're so far away and not a lot's getting done. So that was an interesting insight. Again, he's been in government for the last 10 years. So you do wonder what's been happening over the last 10 years. But mm. yeah, basically the PM, he he came out and he gave a speech, Mr. Albanese, saying there's still a long way to go to close the gap. Targets in things like health, education, incarceration rates, incarceration rates and life expectancy were all failing. So we received that uh, annual reminder from our politicians that we're failing again. But this time around, they're promising to open up the purse strings, whether it's enough and whether it's a case of a government just trying to throw money at this once again. We'll 
remain to be seen really, but they've announced $424 million on top of another $112 million for a one-year partnership with the Northern Territory to accelerate the building of new remote housing and $12 million to make essential food more affordable and accessible in remote communities. I'd be curious to see where that $12 million goes. Um, Obviously, we know so much price gouging goes on in remote communities. In terms of the other money that's been outlined, there's $150 million over four years for the National Water Agreement to basically supply communities with clean water. Linda Burney, the Minister for Indigenous Australians, came out and said basically how shocking it is the fact that people in Australia don't have access to clean water, they don't have access to basically a regular supply of water, which is fucking shocking when you think about it in 2023 that there are people without clean water it's interesting the water services association of australia have welcomed the news so they're in charge of sort of stuff but they said that needs 10 times more funds to properly address the issue they reckon 2.2 billion dollars um so crazy amount of money so a huge amount of money needed and whether this will do it Remains to be seen. So Yeah, will be interesting to see if we come around to next year and we still are talking about the same things about how we're not doing enough and how more needs to be done. And yeah. If the Water Services Association are right that this is not even yeah. nearly enough that we need to address it. Yeah, after we've spent another you know few million dollars on getting some bureaucrats in Canberra to write up nice reports or nice looking reports, Mm. so to speak, aesthetically to hand over to the government. Um, Yeah, remains to be seen. Hopefully the the momentum keeps going. Obviously the voice debate is going to roll throughout the year and that's part of this we've spoken about in the last couple of episodes, but that's going to be part of this, ensuring that there's actual change brought about. There's also some big news in terms of housing across uh, the board, Dave, I believe. That's right. Yeah. It looks like Anthony Albanese, the prime minister, will have to make some changes if he wants to pass the federal government's major housing policy. It was a key promise of the election. It's a $10 billion housing Australia future fund, he's called it. This fund aims to invest money to build 20,000 social housing properties and 10,000 affordable homes for frontline workers in the first five years as well as future investment returns, which could be used for additional housing in the years after. There'll also be around 4,000 homes set aside for women and children fleeing domestic violence situations, as well as older Australians at risk of homelessness. Uh, As I said, this was one of Labor's key election promises, and it comes at a time where the cost of living crisis has been compounded with an impossible housing market that's seen renters struggle to find affordable housing, as well as first home buyers only really able to break into the market if they have the backing of a few rich mummies and daddies out there. Yeah, look, spare thought for the landlords as well is not an endless supply of people to pay the amount needed to pay off their mortgages for investment properties as well. So landlords doing it tough in these environments. Doing it really tough. I yeah. almost think if we had more time, we'd have a moment of silence for them, but we do need to move on. Uh, still on the housing market though, it does seem to me like The way that Labor's tackling this housing issue through uh, investment fund kind of represents how most of the members of parliament see housing, which is just another part of an investment portfolio. You know, Mm. what they want to do is invest money in the market so that they can use the return on that investment to pay for new houses, even though most of Australians are still struggling to afford their rent and can only really dream of owning their own home or even having a bit of extra money to invest in more properties or on the stock market. I mean... Yeah, it does seem like the investment property model, doesn't it? They're going to 
build all these homes and then sell them off and then use the money to build more homes, which is like a novel idea by the sounds of things. And I fucking hope it works Mm. because we're in the middle of a pretty devastating housing crisis. But at the same time, there's a million empty homes in Australia right now. So supplies, not so much the issue necessarily. I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong and these 20,000 homes will go a long way towards solving the problem. But I remember at the time, a lot of people coming out and saying supply is not necessarily the issue. We need to start looking at different factors about why people can use houses as ways to make huge amounts of money rather than just to put a roof over a family's head. The Liberal Party, they're not a fan of this policy? No, not a fan today. They've just announced on Tuesday that they will be voting against the housing policy. They've uh, fallen back on their classic lines that spending any sort of money is just really bad because economy, am I right? Mm. And they've still admitted that there's an issue. Obviously, they're not going to shy away from the fact that Australians are hurting and they need houses, but they haven't really offered any alternative solutions. Um, The deputy liberal leader, Susan Lay, has come out and said, I don't deny that there are housing pressures that Australians face, but how do we solve that? Perhaps not by creating yet another off-budget vehicle of spending that pushes up inflation and interest rates and doesn't immediately solve the problem. How do we solve that? I, I don't know, Susan, you've had 10 years, 15 nearly. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously she thought that while Labor's had so long sitting on the opposition bench that they should have spent those 10 years working out a way that in the first six months of their government, they should be able to immediately solve this housing problem that's been building for you know over two decades, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the other side, they're copying it from the Greens as well. The Greens are saying it's not going far enough. That's right. It seems like the Labor Party's plan has been kind of pulled from both ends. The Greens have unsurprisingly said that this policy doesn't go far enough. Uh, They've highlighted that renters have been completely excluded from the housing plan. And I think they would know, considering they're probably the only members of parliament who are still paying rent rather than receiving rent from yeah. investment properties. There are a couple of youngsters in the Greens there. Um, yeah, that's Stephen right. Bates, Max Chandler-Mathers, Jordan Steele. Yeah, that's right. Greens housing spokesperson is uh, Max Chandler-Mathers, and he's come out and said that Labor's centerpiece housing legislation locks in permanent real-term cuts to housing funding, does nothing for renters, and will see the shortage of social and affordable housing grow, seeing the housing crisis get worse. So even though they are building a lot more houses, it's not really keeping up with the amount of people that need those houses. So yeah, the Greens have agreed to support the future housing fund with the few caveats, as long as a few changes are made, Mm. including upping the spend on social and affordable housing from the $500 million cap to $5 billion. Uh, They've asked for a $1 billion investment in remote Aboriginal housing over five years. They want to make sure that all new housing meets the minimum inclusive design standards for disabled people. And they've also demanded a national freeze on rent increases and an immediate doubling of Commonwealth rent assistance in budgets. So really looking out for the renters and looking out for themselves. Is that a selfish decision on them? Yeah, maybe. I mean, Max Chandler Mather doesn't sound like the kind of guy who would be renting, you know what I mean? With a double barrel name like that. Mm, and I'm right. shooting Max is like Maximilian as well. Yeah. Actually sounds like, you know, he could be from more landlord stock there, but maybe he's just looking out for fellow renters. Um, We'll have to confirm whether he is actually a tenant, I reckon. Or- yeah, we'll do a bit of digging. We'll go on to realestate.com.au, see if mm-hmm. he's got a profile there, domain, all those sites. You know, he might be renting out a few houses under a yeah. different name. Yeah. I oh, fuck, there'll be blue murder if they get a rent freeze on. It's happened before. It happened in the 1940s, I believe. It's not unprecedented Yeah, um, that's to right. get an actual rent freeze. But then obviously people will go, 
the people who are landlords will start complaining about having to pay the mortgages, which again, it's like, well, you took a risk on an investment property and your investment isn't paying off as much as possible and you can't have somebody else paying off your investment. So maybe that's just the way it should be. But yeah, yeah. I reckon they have zero chance getting a rent freeze. This yeah, time I think so. Considering so many of the sitting politicians and the members of government are property investors themselves and are mm. making a bit of money from rent, it's unlikely that they'll... Uh, want to freeze their own income there. Yeah. The investment property model you just spoke about there is interesting as well. It's like we're building all these houses to sell them and the Greens still want the same thing, but why are we building houses to sell? Why don't we just build houses and then just keep them ourselves as the government? You know what I mean? That's what other countries do. Places like Denmark do it, Singapore do it. They have actual houses set aside which are owned by the government, which people can live in. I don't know why we need to sell more, make money, sell more, make money, sell more, rather than just spend the money up front and have social housing that people can live in. I mean, Wendell, that makes sense to me. And I feel like that would make sense to a lot of Australians who are really struggling in the market. But I know one person who would really hate that idea, and that's our old friend Alex Antich, who I reckon would say that that's downright communism. Yeah, he and would. That would be straight out of Kim Jong-un's playbook. Mm, I reckon he would say that. Communism 2.0, that's what we're talking about right there. That's right, um, the so new yeah, and improved version. Happy. Yeah. But you've got a solution for people listening at home? Well, I wish it was my solution that I came up with, but I've just seen it in the Australian Financial Review, the real newspaper for the battlers out there. They've provided a much easier solution than all these complicated, high-minded ones put across by politician. They've released an article just this week saying, frustrated renters buy $3.8 million terrace house. Can you believe it? <laughs> Why did no one else think of that? It's an easy solution. If you can't get a good property and you're getting run around, you're dealing with agents, you're looking at places filled with mold, just buy a house, plain and simple. Pretty easy. You know, you don't want to stand in lines down the street, maybe in the rainy weather. Mm. You don't want to wait hours for an inspection that might last 15 minutes and that you might get cut before you walk in. Just send your agent out there. Get, did, get them to look for you. Did and they have any tips one. on how to save for a deposit or how they did Was that coffees? Not getting coffees that did it for them or not getting look, takeaway? It didn't specify that. I thought it might have been saving on avocado toasts, but this really inspirational story uh, could really pave the pathway for lots of struggling renters to follow. It was um, three young siblings, all in their 20s, struggling to crack the rental market. They were looking in, of course, Sydney's eastern suburbs, which is where most first-time renters would obviously find a very easy path to having cheap rentals. But they turned to a higher power to solve their rental woes. Not, uh, not any God, not any religious figure, but according to the article, it says their father decided, the father of two sons and a daughter, all in their 20s, because nobody would rent to them in Paddington, I'll buy you a house. And now they're all moving in and that's their new share house. That's a pretty good solution. I wonder if we can just do that on a large scale across the nation. The government can be everybody's father and just buy everyone houses. That sounds right. I mean, some people might have to share a house in Paddington. That's the only problem. But just, I think some people okay. might just be okay with that if uh, Daddy Albanese sorts that for everyone. Mm, something for them to think about. Now, uh, lastly this week, uh, we say goodbye, not just yet, but we will be saying goodbye uh, very shortly to a senior Liberal politician, Mr. Alan Tudge. He's a Liberal member for the Melbourne seat of Aston, and he was a front bencher for quite a while. He's hanging up his tie and he's gone from politics as of next week. 
which brings to a close his 13-year career, served under three prime ministers in various different roles, Minister for Education, Minister for Human Services, involved with robo-debt. Done a fair bit, Alan Tudge, but he's resigned and he told us, us being the collective nation, he said, it's not been an easy decision for me, but it's necessary for my health and for my family amongst other reasons. We'll talk more about his achievements, but I just, with that quote, I just wanted to read something from Wikipedia, which comes from a uh, ABC article. Tudge and his wife, Terry Eshels, had three children. Their 20-year relationship ended in 2017, a year after the birth of their third child, and as a result of Tudge's extramarital affair. So make of that what you will with regard to that quote in terms of uh, his family and other reasons. Had some allegations leveled against him. Yeah, a few allegations, which, you know, as a Liberal Party politician, he's obviously came out and vehemently denied. Yep. Other reasons could be all sorts of things. You know, he might be pursuing a career in sport. He might yep. be pursuing some hobbies like, you know, steel welding or mm. woodwork or something like that. Might have something to do with the fact he's uh, fronted up the Royal Commission recently and faced a lot of scrutiny for his role in robo-debt. But mm. who knows? It could really be anything. Yeah, it could be something more boring like just taking a job with a major bank in a capital city or advising um, for, I don't know, a large resources company. Or maybe the other reasons uh, to do with stuff that was similar to allegations that aired on Four Corners over over um, the last couple of years about uh, his relationship with his former staffer um, who he was having an affair with and uh, other allegations about his behaviour. He, of course, was cleared by a Liberal Party inquiry. Yeah, they've um, investigated themselves and found mm. no wrongdoing. So who are we to say that the yeah. result should be any different? So he's out, Mr. Tudge. Uh, he's held on. It does make you wonder why he was holding on for so long and why he's finally letting go now because um, all of those scandals rolled with him in terms of um, the affairs, uh, allegations of his behaviour um, in relation to Rochelle Miller, uh, robo-debt inquiry held on for so long, but now he's letting go. So it's interesting to wonder why that is happening. But his resignation is going to trigger a by-election in the seat of Aston, where he actually only just won by 3% at last year's election. So That's traditionally right. yeah. it had been around 10%. It was a pretty safe Liberal seat. But they had a massive swing against him uh, and he only held on by 3%, which is a curious one. You wonder whether that was the Teal effect, whether that was the Scott Morrison effect, whether it was Tudge himself having a pretty kind of greased reputation and a bad reputation. Um, you wonder if it will swing back the other way, back towards the Liberal Party or whether uh, there's something more going on demographics-wise and they might be moving much, much closer to a swing seat. But Will be interesting. I yeah. mean, depending on who the Liberal Party chooses their candidate coming up, there was a lot of talk around former treasurer and heavy hitter in the Liberal Party, Josh Frydenberg, mm. who lost his seat quite unexpectedly at the last election to one of the aforementioned Teal candidates. Uh, Josh has since come out and denied that he will be replacing Tudge as the candidate for Aston. And I think there's one person that is pretty happy about that decision that Frydenberg won't be returning. Mr. Peter Dutton, yeah, I reckon he would have been saying, please, bro, don't. Like, wait, just wait another couple of years. Obviously, Frydenberg was a chance of being the next man up after Scott Morrison got rolled as leader of the Libs. Peter Dutton 
doesn't really have any other challenges. He's kind of – he's the guy for the Liberal Party. He's the uh, person that united behind. He's um, uh, sort of Stephen Bradbury'd his way to the top after everyone yeah. else has sort of slipped on the yeah. ice on the way. Yeah, and if Frydenberg came back in and things started going poorly and they weren't looking like great chances next election, then you'd imagine Josh Frydenberg uh, might have started to agitate or might have been an option to take over from Dutton. But at this point, it doesn't look like there's really – anybody else who would be taking over from him. So he'll be breathing a sigh of relief if uh, Joe Fry stays out of the race and stays out of the candidacy for Aston. I wonder, is it like a, is it the classic, oh, I'm not interested, we're not looking at signing this player or I'm not interested in having any leadership uh, positions. I wonder if it's like that that false flag, you know, not interested at all, but mm. secretly behind the scenes he's getting moving and he's going to have a run at Aston. Maybe, maybe he's just playing a bit hard to get. He's testing the waters. He's seeing what the response is like to the rumours first. Maybe he was the one that started the rumours, who knows, but at this point in time he has said that he's not going, but who knows, it's still a long time till the next election. There might be a few more resignations. Frydenberg may just be biding his time until mm. one day he's going to rear his nice shiny head back in there. Yeah, I think he's gone full. He's gone full Chrome Dome now, um, similar to Dutton as well. He's I think not, so. He's not bothering the little bits on the side. Um, but, yeah, that by-election will be coming up. Everyone will be getting excited about that in the political world. Um, gives a bit of excitement outside of elections. I feel like people carry on too much about by-elections. Like people always go like, oh, it's such a big deal. And, um, and you know, it's a really interesting gauge of where uh, the government's at and all that sort of stuff. Maybe it is, but really we're a couple of years away from an election. This is just a uh, standalone seat. I'd be curious to see how much attention gets paid to it. But um, something we'll be talking about in future episodes, I'm sure. Dave, mm. that's that's it from me. I haven't got anything else to no, talk about. No, that's it from me too. It's been another fun week in politics, mm. a bit of a quiet one, but looking not heaps forward going to, on. No, not a lot, but looking forward to, you know, things ramping up again now that Parliament's sitting again. Now that school's back, you know, there'll be some playground riffraff there'll mm. be some people speaking up in class and teachers who are angry with the students yeah some people call to the principal's office i'm sure but a lot to come maybe a fight out the front of the school before the, uh, the buses arrive mm, that's right maybe some, some angry like rumors spreading group chats yeah maybe some parents complaining to the school yeah. that their kids aren't receiving fair treatment by the teachers naughty snapchats who knows mm. um as soon as we stop recording on this something will probably happen uh, yeah. which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks time as usual anyway Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. See ya.